0: My is Adam Harold. I am one of the pastors here at the refuge. My wife and I lead this church together as a team. I couldn't do it without her on most days. And uh, thank you so much for being here. It's a joy that we get. Oh, you just now got it. She's on the keyboard, by the way. Um, you know, it's a joy that we get to do this together. And, uh, you know, we we know that there's a lot of uncertainty in our world right now. And, uh You know, I just want to acknowledge it, and this last week, I was reading an article that reminded me of some of Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 24. He said that there will be wars and rumors and wars. Now, what he says, and and I have a tendency to wrap myself into that, right? I I get a little bit overwhelmed when I start to hear wars and rumors of wars. Oh, no. Like, maybe, and I start to get excited. As As a follower of Jesus, I start to get a little excited, and and I started to think, maybe I'm maybe it's about time to go home. Maybe it's about time that Jesus comes back and gets me. Because I'm starting to hear wars and rumors of wars. However, what Jesus says is to not to be concerned or wrapped up in those things. He says, It's gonna happen. I'm gonna come, but don't focus on the wars and rumors of wars. We're gonna have that. I started thinking about it. And I was like, holy cow, there have been wars and rumors of wars for a very long time. We've always had them. But that doesn't change anything. What it does change is I'm always looking for Jesus to come back. It's a constant attitude that he can come at any time. So maybe you're here. Maybe you're concerned about things in the war, things in the the world. I want you to know God's got it under control. He's got it under control. He's coming back someday. No man knows the time or the day or the hour. But we are to live with anticipation and and anxiously await the return of our king. (laughs) King Jesus is coming to reign in this world. And all the wars and rivers and waters, guess what? They're gone, right? They're gone. We're not going to have to deal with that because King Jesus will reign. You know, the Refuge Church, we were started five years next Sunday. Come on, somebody. That's right. So if you think the 11 o'clock's normally rowdy, it is. But next week it's going to be really rowdy because we're going to celebrate a birthday next Sunday. My pastor, Derek Fry, will be in the house. And um, yesterday I was reminded when Pastor Derek's executive pastor sent me a text message, and I thought about everything going on at the refuge. You know, we've recently opened these doors. Our first Sunday was December the 19th on this building, and um, it's been an amazing journey. But we realized that there are people that have been coming to the refuge that just, you're just starting to, like, you're just, you're just starting to meet us. You're just starting to know us. And by the way, if it's your first time ever being here, maybe it's your first time in a long time, we just we don't want to embarrass anybody. We just want to know your name and send you a card to say thank you for being here. It's just a little thank you card that I'll send you this week to give us your name if you want to do that. You don't have to, but the feather as you walked in, we call that guest central or, or guest services. We've changed the name a couple times. It's only been five years, but we changed, we've made a lot of changes. And uh, we call it guest services now. Um, but stop by there. Get a, get a connection card. Just ask whoever's uh, there for a connection card and give us your, your na- all the information that you're comfortable giving us. We just want to send you a card to say thank you for being here. But my, my friend Pastor Jerry sends me a text message yesterday. And he reminded me that we're doing a lot in this world as a church in Wyndham, Maine. Come on. Like we're in Wyndham, Maine. And we believe that God has called us to make a difference in this world. And so He sent me some some pictures, and He sent me a He before you show the pictures, He asked me. He said, "Guess where I'm at?" And I said, "Maine." <laughs> He's like, "No, no, no, I'm in the Dominican Republic." And He sends me these pictures, and I want to show them to you. This is Refugia de Iglesia, and uh. In the Dominican Republic. And this is. Our hope center. That the Refuge Church. Sponsors. And he showed me some pictures of of some of the kids. That we sponsor. And every kid. That's in these. In these pictures are sponsored by people in our church. We don't. Talk about this every Sunday. But. We're leaving an impact in this world. Some people are doing it with their finances every month. And others are doing it just by praying for our kids that are in the Dominican Republic that need to hear about Jesus. So every month we've got people, we sponsor 49 kids in the Dominican Republic. And that sponsorship gives them a Christian education as well as food on their tables. It gives them health care. When kids don't normally have health care in the Dominican Republic, it it gives the family health care for the kid that mom and dad don't have to worry about getting that kid good insurance because it's taken care of. And that's through the generosity of you. And we're just going to present an opportunity to obey God with with what he asked us to. and we believe that we're blessed how many of you know we're blessed to be Americans this morning? We're blessed but we're blessed so that we can be a blessing to other people. This is one of my favorite things about our church. That we get to impact the world for Jesus. We say at the refuge that when you give to the refuge, you give through the refuge. We we believe that God wants us to leave an impact in this world. I we've got we've got a plan to to help the town of Wyndham with Coming up in, in, um, in Summerfest in, in June, we're going to sponsor a, an inflatable park where families can come from all over Wyndham for free and their kids can jump on the parks, on, on the inflatables, and we're going to have volunteer opportunity. And and all that money is going to go to pay for that inflatable park. But that's something that we we give to our fa- our, our community because God's people are obedient to him. And when we're obedient to him, we're able to bless this world with the message of hope that they're looking for. And So we don't pass an offering plate at the refuge because, well, there's a pandemic going on. We don't pass anything at the refuge, including COVID, right? That's a joke. You can laugh. You don't have to laugh at my jokes. I'm going to continue to tell jokes until you laugh. But we don't pass a plate. But there's three ways that you can give. You can give online, refugemain refuge church slash give. You can also give in the black boxes um, right over here on your way out, or you can text on your phone seven seven two nine six. They'll send you a response and you can give there. But this is an opportunity to worship God with our work. This we 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 say that giving. Is turning our work into worship, and there's no better way to to worship God, to show Him He has our hearts. Jesus said, "Where your money is your, or where your treasure is, your heart is also." So this is the way that we show God that He has our hearts. Father, we thank you. We thank you, God, that you are our source. And that when we live with open hands, we give you the freedom to put things in it and take things away. so, Father, we just come before you and we just live with open hands. We give back to you so that you can show this world that you love them. Lord, we're blessed. I pray today that we would be a blessing to others. It's not about the amount given. It's not about anything other than the heart. Father, you desire us to give cheerfully. And the reason for that is because it's about our hearts. It's not about our wallets. So, Father, I ask that in the name of Jesus... You would bless every person that gives today. That you would use this offering, this tithe, Father, to to bless this world. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Is God good today? Come on. I hope he's good for you as he's good for me. 11 o'clock. Thank you guys so much for being here. Um, it is a joy that we get to do this. We couldn't do it without our wonderful team of, of, of people that serve together. And uh, we've got some really exciting things on the horizon um, to get people plugged in and, and, and uh, serving and, and um, doing things together. And, uh, you know, it's just absolutely amazing to watch a community come together and um, and maybe that 's maybe maybe you 're just like ooh well this isn 't the place for me then no, it is we just we 're just not going to make you do anything right we 're not going to force you to 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 do anything we 're going to welcome you when you 're here, and you can come and go as you please if you want. You can be what my wife called a few weeks ago a church ninja. We allow like we welcome church ninjas, we welcome church ninjas, but you are not living in the fulfillment of God as a church ninja, right He wants you to be plugged in, a part of his body, serving together, and he's got great things in store for us. Well, we're in the middle of a series. Actually, we're not in the middle of a series. We're at the end of a series. We're at the caboose. Uh, This is the finale of a series that we're calling uh, Relationship Matters Because Relationships Matter. Relationship matters because relationships matter. The fact of the matter is, is that relationship matters because... God desperately wants a relationship with us. So all of our relationships that we have, he wants to use to bring us into relationship with him, to show us what a relationship with him can look like. And so we've been in this series, and in week one we talked about the purpose of relationships, and we talked about just what I talked about just a minute ago. We talked about how every relationship is used to to point us to a relationship with God. Week two, Two, I talked about the protecting those relationships, and I said that it's really important that we that we talked about protecting our relationships before we got to today, where we're going to talk about the pain of relationships. Because if you get into the pain of relationships, you're not going to choose to protect your relationships, because nobody wants to protect something that causes pain. But the fact of the matter is, is relationships cause pain sometimes, and so. Week three, Tanya talked about the placement of relationships and how um, everyone has a place. Um, some people um, are are different places in, in, in the relationship spectrum for us, and that's okay. It's 100% okay to be that way. And then uh, last week, I talked about the process of relationships, and I talked about about King David and how he had three friends. He had a Samuel to see his heart. He had a... Jonathan to support his heart, and he had a Nathan to reveal his heart. I'm not going to preach that message again. You can go back and listen to it on our website if you want to, as long, along with all of our other uh, messages. Also, um, I didn't do this in the first service, so um, if you want to follow along with all of today's notes, uh, they're available in the U Version Bible app. Um, you can go to U Version, click on events, and um, yeah, there you go. Uh, click on the U Version app and the events and all of our. Our notes for today are right there. So today we're talking about the pain of relationships. The pain of relationships. Relationships cause pain. And I wish I could stand before you and say that relationships don't hurt, but they do. Pastor Adam, don't you think you should be more positive this morning? I'm positive that relationships cause pain. (laughs) I'm positive that, that they cause hurt. And... If they cause hurt, and and let me show you the, the springboard for this series. It's found in Genesis chapter two, verse 18. And before I do that, whoa, before I do that, before I get too far in, in I have to say that um today's message, and, and any time that this happens, um, I like to to put it on the front end of a message so that I don't get to the back end and go, and you and parents are sitting there going, Well, why didn't he tell us he was going to talk about that? Um, I realize that. Um, there might be kids in this room, and there will be things that I talk about in today's message that may make parents feel a little uncomfortable because later on your kids are going to go, Mommy, what's that? And you're going to be like, Whoa, where would you hear that? Oh, it was the preacher. Well, I'm telling you now that you might get some questions later on if your kids are in here. And we have an amazing rock star kids ministry that are right there. They're, they're, they're anticipating People possibly coming back um, to to help you get your kids checked in. We just want you to know that we're thinking about your kids all the time. And there are things in this message that may be uncomfortable. So, um, and also now the parents are going, "Well, now what's he going to talk about?" (laughs) So it's a little bit of a cliffhanger as well. So I got you. Hopefully, I got you right where I want you. Genesis chapter two, verse eighteen, is a springboard for our message. And it says this, then the Lord said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. God is saying, Isolation, it ain't good. It's not good to be in isolation. And if God says it's not good to be in isolation, then guess who is saying that it is good to be in isolation? The enemy, Satan, the devil. Lucifer, whatever you want to call him, there's an enemy. God has an enemy, and anytime he tells you something is good, there's an enemy that's telling you the exact opposite. Therefore, he's trying everything that he can to get us to live in isolation. That's where Satan wants you. He wants you living alone. He wants you feeling like you're all alone. And I want you to know that if you are here and you feel alone, Small groups started last Sunday, and they're continuing on and on and on, and they are for everyone. We have, I think we have nine or ten small groups this semester, and um, we've got some amazing leaders that want to help everyone get closer to God. Our, everything that we do is designed to help everyone get one step closer to God. fact of the matter is, every week of my life, every day of my life, I have to do everything that I can to get one step closer to God. If I'm not doing that, then we're, then we're all in trouble. As the leader of the church, I put it on myself to always get one step closer to God. So isolation is where, where the devil wants us. He wants us li- feeling like we're alone and being all alone. The reason the devil always tries to convince us the opposite of what God wants is because of John chapter 10 and verse 10, one of my favorite verses, in all the scripture and it says this the thief comes only to steal, kill and destroy. I come that you may have life and have it abundantly. God Jesus came to give us life more abundantly. He didn't come listen, we often think that we read that we, we read that verse and we think, well if if he give if he if he wants to give abundance then that means that he wants to give me more money. He wants to give me more success. He wants to give me more this, more that. Listen, Jesus knew the answer wasn't more money. Thank you, Biggie, right? <laughs> the answer's not more money. It's not, a, it's, it's not abundant money. It's, it's abundant what? Life. He says, I came to give you life more abundantly listen more more life doesn't mean more money or more success more life you know what it means more life and when i get more life you know what i get <laughs> i get enough life to share with you and, you and you and you and you and you it's more life it's abundant life abundance is just is just more than enough Anytime I have abundant, I have more than enough. And hopefully you experience more life every time you walk through these doors. Life more abundantly. And so Satan wants to steal our abundance. He wants to do anything he can to steal our abundance. Therefore, he's going to do everything he can to convince us that we're alone that were isolated. And so Satan has tools in his tool belt that he often uses to convince us of isolation or to convince us of whatever it is that's going to cause destruction, addiction. You can put whatever it is that you struggle with in that sentence. Whatever tool he uses to destroy you, he has in his tool belt. One of the tools that he uses in his tool belt to keep you in isolation Is pain. He will keep you in isolation with your relationship pain if we don't address it. Hopefully today we address it in a way that will show you, I can overcome this pain in my life. Because Romans 8.28 is true. And we know that those who love God, all things work together for good. Not for destruction. For good, for those who are called according to his purpose. The fact of the matter is your pain has the ability in God's hands to build you up and make you stronger. But it has to be in God's hands, not in our hands. When it's in our hands, we, we you know what we get? Isolated. When our pain is in our hands, we get wrapped up in our neglect and wrapped up in our isolation and wrapped up in whatever, and wrapped up in our feelings, wrapped up in everything. But when our pain is in God's hands, he uses it to build us up, to make us stronger, to make us a better husband, to make us a better friend, to make us a better brother, to make us a better sister. Whatever it is that we need more abundance in, he uses our pain to make it stronger. I came ready to preach for 11 a.m. Don't come to 11 a.m. unless you want me to preach to you. Satan wants to rob you of that. He wants to steal it from you. In the 13th century, there was a German king by the name of Frederick. Frederick II. Frederick II wanted to discover what language human beings would speak if never spoken to. So, Frederick gets these babies from their moms and What he does is he gives the babies to nurses. And he tells these nurses, you are not to speak within earshot of these babies. Because he wanted to know what what language they would speak naturally. Which is kind of interesting. Pretty horrible, but kind of interesting. What would they speak? So he says to the nurses, don't speak and don't touch them. Frederick never found the answer to his problem, to his question. You know why? The babies died. The babies died. And the fact of the matter is, is without love and without care, without relationship, we die. That brings me to today's big idea. The big idea for today is at the core of most relationship pain is some form of neglect. At the core of relationship pain is some form of neglect. Now I'm going to explain it to you using scripture. Last week I talked about King David. And by by the way, um, when I... When I thought of this relationship series, and by the way, this isn't about romantic relationships. So if you're waiting for me to talk about um, romantic relationships, I'm never going to get there. Just so you know. Don't don't wait for that too long. Everyone has a relationship. Not everyone has a romantic relationship. So we want to talk about all relationships. And so, um, so... Last, last week, I talked about King David, and, and the week before, I talked about King David. And I didn't realize when I set out to, to do this series that this was going to be a series about King David. But turns out, King David has a lot to teach us about relationships. And so, last week, I, I already gave you the three types of friends that we all need, the, uh, the Samuels, the, the Jonathans, and the Nathans. Um, and hopefully, you listen to the Samuels, the Jonathans, and the Nathans in your life this week. But um, there's another relationship that I mentioned at the end of last week that um, I, I, what I mentioned was I mentioned the, the consequence for the sin of David's actions. You see, last week I told a story about how David walked out on top of his rooftop at the time of day where women would bathe on top of their roofs. And he saw this woman that was beautiful in the distance. A time where kings went to war, the Bible says, David was hanging out on his rooftop. And he's there and he sees this beautiful woman by the name of Bathsheba that was taking a bath. It's amazing how, how uh, the Hebrew language works sometimes, or the Hebrew into English works sometimes. Not always, but Bathsheba was taking a bath and he sees her. He summons her to his castle. He sleeps with her. She gets pregnant. But Bathsheba's husband was a man by the name of Uriah that was at war, where David was supposed to be. So David has him killed. So David, a man after God's own heart, is an adulterous murderer. But there were consequences for his actions. The Consequences for his actions are what I want to talk to you about today. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 10. It says, now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Because you've stolen this other man's wife, the sword will never depart from your house. And that was a part of the consequence of David's stealing of Bathsheba, that the sword would never depart from his house. Well, David then goes on to have three sons by the name of of Amnon, Absalom, and Adonijah. All three sons would be killed by the sword. This is a tragic story in God's word. I I said it last week. I'll say it probably every week. If the Bible were a movie, it would be rated R. It would, because the story that I'm about to tell you is a tragic story that includes murder and rape and things that are very, like, that your kids are going to ask you questions about if they're still in here, right? So Amnon, Absalom, Adonijah, all killed by the sword. The story of Absalom is found in 2 Samuel chapter 13 through 19. There's also a book that I wanted to reference uh, earlier and I forgot to. It's called The Tale of Three Kings by Gene Edwards. There's an edge there. Don't go, don't go beyond that. Get one step closer to God, but don't go there. Gene <laughs> Edwards, uh, the, the, tale, the Tale of Three Kings. Um, is a story of King Saul, King David, and Absalom, and is an absolute incredible. It's, it's it's an old book. It, it's real short. Um, you can go and read that, but I encourage you this week to read the story of Absalom and allow it to to penetrate your heart and get you closer to God this week. Second Samuel chapter thirteen through nineteen, and so in Second Samuel thirteen, we we hear the story of of. Absalom and his half-brother Amnon, who was also David's son, who had a sister by the name of Tamar. Tamar was very beautiful, and, and Amnon knew that she was beautiful. Now, listen, this was a different time. I don't want to I, I don't, I don't get wrapped up in trying to explain why the half-brother thinks his sister is beautiful. I don't want to get into all that. I just know that it that it happened. And he looks at Tamar and he sees that she's beautiful. And he so he he rapes her. And when he does Absalom gets angry. Not David. It's not David the dad that steps in and does something about it. It's Absalom David neglects the whole situation. So Absalom takes his sister Tamar. They go to his house, and they're there for two years. Until one day, Absalom says, let's throw a party. He throws a party, and he invites who other than his brother, half-brother, Amnon. And at the party, Absalom orders his servants to have Amnon killed. With a what? You're paying attention. Good job. With a sword. He kills Amnon with a sword because he had raped their sister. But then Absalom gets scared. And all of a sudden, he thinks that his dad is actually going to do something about it this time. He's going to wake up from his slumber of neglect. And he's going to actually do something about it. So Absalom flees. He runs. He goes and he hides. And guess what happened? In 2 Samuel 13, 38, it says this. So Absalom fled and went to Gesher. So he, he's afraid for his life. He goes to Gesher and he's there for three years. And the spirit of the king, who's the king? David. The spirit of the king longed to go to Absalom because he was comforted about Amnon since he was dead. What that scripture means is because David knew Amnon, it's hard to keep the Amnon and Absalom and all that mix, and my name's Adam, and it just makes it real crazy. (laughs) So David is comforted that Amnon is in the presence of God. And so what he does is he longs to be with Absalom. And it it said that he longed to be there. But what did David do? I'll give you a clue. Nothing. Did absolutely nothing. He neglect, more neglect. He doesn't go to Absalom. You know who does? A guy by the name of Joab, who's the general of David's army. He goes to Absalom, and he gets him to come back home. Listen to me. Habitual neglect will always appear as incompetence. Habitual neglect will always appear as incompetence. Meaning that if you continue to neglect what you're doing, you continue to neglect what you're doing, someone's going to step up and do something about it because they think that you're incompetent to do what you're supposed to be doing. So guess what happens? Joab goes and he gets Absalom and he brings him home and David and Absalom kind of have this half-hearted rekindling, this half-hearted handshake. And Absalom starts to think, you know, my dad didn't do anything about it before. He, didn't, he hasn't done a thing. My sister got raped. He didn't do anything about that. I went. He didn't even come and find me in the desert. He didn't even come and find me. He just, he just neglected me. Guess, And he's the king? I could be a better king than that. So guess what Absalom does? He names himself king of Israel. He names himself the king. And guess what David does? He runs. He runs and he hides. And and the Bible says that, that David ran, left his castle, left his, his 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 home. And what does Absalom do? Well, he's already named himself king. So what does he do? He He moves into the king's castle. But he goes beyond that. He doesn't just move into the castle, but he sleeps with one of David's concubines. An offense that would have been seen as unforgivable in Israel. It was unforgivable. Now a concubine, I know that some of you guys are, are wondering what that is. A concubine was a woman that was acquired by a man... As a secondary wife, her purpose was to provide a male an heir in case of a barren wife, to provide more children and the general inheritance, provide for the family's workforce and wealth, and satisfy the man's desires. That's what a concubine did. She was, um, <laughs> so it wasn't like a, not like a stepmom, but like kind of like a stepmom. <laughs> She, she was a replacement wife. And, and Absalom moves in and he takes over the castle and he sleeps with the concubine. That was an unforgivable offense. This was a major slap in David's face. Guess what David did? Nothing. Nothing. In chapter 18 we see uh, chapter 16 and 17 of 2nd Samuel we see Absalom's rebellion. He rebels and he and he starts to try to build this kingdom. But he's not anointed king, so he he really can't he doesn't get anywhere. But but David starts to feel threatened. So David run, runs he he's already running run hide. I already told you about that. He ran and hid. So then in chapter 18 of 2nd Samuel David goes to war with Absalom. But David tells his, his, his commanders, his generals, deal gently with young Absalom, he said. That was his command. Deal gently with my son. Some of you are sitting there, and I, know, I, I think I know how you're thinking. And you're thinking, how in the world? This guy killed his son, stole his kingdom, slept with his concubine. How in the world could David say Deal gently with young Absalom. How many times did God say deal gently with young Adam? David was a man after God's own heart and in in all of his wickedness, he still was a man after God's own heart and he was able to to find mercy for his son Absalom. When I deserve death, God offers me life. So David's army is at war. Absalom has long, flowing, beautiful hair. He's riding his horse, rides under a tree. His long, beautiful, flowing hair gets caught in the tree. And he's left hanging by the tree, by his hair, by his hair. Joab sees him and he goes and he kills him with a sword. Verse 33 of 2nd Samuel 18 says and the king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went He said, oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would I had died instead of you? Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. He gets there and he's like, oh, my son is dead. And he weeps and he cries and he's so, so torn because his son is now dead. Because he loved his son, regardless of what his son had done to him. But then chapter 19, verse 5 through 7. We see Joab coming to, J- to David, and he says this, Then Joab came into the house of the king. You have today covered with shame the faces of your servants, who have this day saved your life and the lives of your sons and your daughters and the lives of your wives and your concubines. Because you love those who hate you and hate those who love you. For you have made it clear today that the commanders and the servants are nothing to you. For today I know that if Absalom were alive and all these were dead today, then you would be pleased. David had neglected his servants to mourn the loss of his son. Verse 7, now therefore arise and go and speak kindly to your servants. Stop neglecting your servants. For I swear by the Lord, if you do not go, not a man will stay with you this night. And this will be worse. For then all the evil that has come upon you from your youth until now. If we continue to live in isolation. Or uh, sorry, if we continue to neglect people in our lives, eventually it always get us, gets us back to isolation. If we continue to neglect people in our lives, people that we should appreciate, people that we should love, people that we should encourage, people that we should pat them on the back and say, boy," people that we, that we should appreciate, if we continue to neglect them, what happens is we end up in isolation, being all alone again doesn't matter how close you were in the beginning. If you continue to neglect it, it always comes back to isolation. So Joab said three things to David that I find very important. He said, he said, you love those who hate you. Sorry, it's only two things. You love those that hate you, and you hate those who love you. You love those that hate you, you hate those who love you. Neglect at the core of all relationship pain. But if I stop the sermon right there, and I don't give you the definition of neglect, and I've, I've neglected you. You see, we have to define neglect. What does neglect look like? I think there's three things, three types of neglect that will always get you to pain, will always get you back to isolation. Number one, the neglect of God. When we neglect God in our lives, we will always end up in isolation. Because God is the center of all relationships. Because he created us in relationship with him, the relationship with him is the foundation. It's the center. And if we neglect the relationship we were created for, you can kiss all other relationships goodbye. My wife and I we've been married for 17 years. We just celebrated our 17th wedding anniversary. No 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 no. No. It's not worth that. We we celebrated that. We celebrate sorry, it is worth that. But we, <laughs> we celebrated that a couple weeks ago. All right. That's, that's, that's old news. We're on to 18 baby. Come on. All right? So, before I get in trouble. We made a decision at the at the altar. That we have to have one person at the center of our relationship. And it's not Adam and it's not Tanya. That God has to be the center of our relationship or it will fail. That's not just husband and wife. That's... Friend and best friend. That's, that's brother and sister. That's mom and dad. That's everyone. He has to be the center of our relationships. Because he's the creator that created us to be in relationship with him, He is that relationship is the center. Is that, am I making sense today? I'm making more sense than I, than, than I even, yeah. I'm blowing my own mind is what I'm trying to say. So one, the neglect of God. Will get you back to isolation. Number two, the neglect of others will also get you back to isolation. When you start to um, when you start to um, put yourself before other people, and you neglect other people in your life, that will eventually get you to isolation. You have to to love others. You have to treat others the way you want to be treated. You have to to. to put put them before you put yourself because you can't neglect other people. We used to call it joy, Jesus, others, yourself, right? That whole thing. That's, That's where I'm going. You neglect God will lead you to isolation. Your neglect of others will lead you to isolation. Pastor Adam, what happens when someone else hurts me? When it's not my fault? How do I handle that when I get hurt by other people? I realize that, that I do hurt other people, but what happens when I'm the one that's hurt? The answer to that question is a little easier than you might think. If you've been coming around the refuge for very long, then you've heard me say that my definition of forgiveness that I heard in a sermon by Sean Sears down in Avon, Massachusetts um and we we used to go to grace church for a little while and he preached this message and I it was one every once in a while this isn't one of them but every once in a while you hear a sermon that you'll never forget that was a joke that was maybe you will forget it i don't know but this sermon i never forget it he said god says in the book of romans that vengeance is mine says the lord so If you want to learn how to forgive other people, give up your right to pay them back. When you get hurt, you have a right to pay that person back. When someone slaps me in the face, I have a right to slap them back. But when I go, no, I'm good. I won't slap you back. You know what that is? It's forgiveness. One of the things that he said was, like, you know, there are some pretty wretched things that people can do. Like, if someone um heaven forbid someone were to to molest one of my children then then how how in the world do you pay someone back that does something as disgusting as that well when when you start to to talk about forgiving and forgetting that's that's what the bible says that god does not not necessarily us so the way that we forgive other people is we just give up our right to pay that person back. Now I can do that, I'm, because I'm not going to forget if somebody does that to my kid. I'm not going to forget that. If I forget it, then then I would let them hang around each other anymore. No, I'm going to remember that. But I'm not going to pay that person back the way that I deserve, the way that I deserve to. And so when you give up your right to pay someone else back, you're putting other people more than you, you're you're not neglecting others. So neglect of God, neglect of others, finally the neglect of yourself. The neglect of yourself will lead you to isolation. You know, the number one way that we neglect ourselves, we try to please everybody. We try to please everybody. And when I start to please other, we, we, we get this, this warped sense that my pleasing of other people is putting them first. But when you do that, you neglect yourself. If I'm honest with you, this is where I struggle. This is where I struggle. This is, this is my struggle. My struggle is loving myself. I'm, I'm an Enneagram 9. I, I, I just, I, I, don't, I don't love myself very well. I don't buy stuff for myself. My wife, she has a great time buying stuff for her. <laughs> Some of you guys are like, what did he say? Don't worry about it. I don't buy stuff for myself. I don't I don't love Adam. It's just it's it's just it's the way I'm wired. I struggle with buying with loving myself. You know what convicted me? The words of Jesus. Love others as you love yourself. Okay, Jesus, you do it again. The Apostle Paul said, no one hates themselves. And then I realized the word of God gives me permission to take care of me. Gives me permission to love other people, but to love myself as well. We're all trying to figure this out. And the fact of the matter is relationships cause pain, and oftentimes there is neglect involved. And if we can realize that it's neglect that's causing the pain, you know what I get to do? I get to address the neglect. I get to stop neglecting the whatever it is that's causing the pain. I get to pick up the phone and call my friend and say, hey, I'm sorry. I get to go to my mom or my dad and I get to say, hey, I'm sorry. And I get to address the relationship so that I can be in relationship with that person. But the fact of the matter is, is the way that we are able to address the neglect of our lives is because God addressed the neglect in his. By sending his son, Jesus. Jesus to rescue us. When we slapped him in the face and we sinned against God and we broke our relationship with him, God said, no, I'm not going to neglect that relationship. I'm going to send you an answer. His name is Jesus Christ. He's perfect. Stand to your feet. I want to pray with you. Maybe you're here. Maybe you've Got some, uh, some relationships that need addressed today. My friend Elaine's coming up to the front of the room. My friend Dave's coming up to my left. They would love to pray with you about any relationships or any disease in your body or whatever it is that you want, you want prayed for today. They would love to pray with you. But for some of you, it's time that you address... The neglect of God in your life. It's time to, to come to Jesus. You see, God addressed the neglect by sending his son Jesus. But, he di- but But then at that point, he put the ball in our courts. Because one of the parts of this, this message that I haven't gotten into is that there's another side of the story. With, with relationships, there's always two people involved. And, and at some point, the, the person that you're addressing the neglect with, they have the right to say, you know what, I'm good. I, like, my life's been without you for so long, I'm, I'm good. They have that right. And the fact of the matter is, is that God sent his son Jesus to address the neglect of his life And we have a decision to make that we can walk away from the way that God addresses that neglect or we can embrace it. We can receive Jesus in our lives by simply believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth. The Bible says that by believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth, you are saved. It's a heart issue. If you want to address that relationship this morning, I want to help you do it. I'm going to say a prayer. And if you say this prayer with me on your way out at the Feather, they've got those cards Stop and fill one out and just put, I'm, I'm following Jesus for the first or, or I'm recommitting my life to Jesus. Whatever it is that applies, I'll just send you a card to say, welcome to the family. And then after, I, after my prayer, we're going to sing another song. We're going to celebrate and then we're going to sing another song. And we're going to have the best day of our lives. But if you need Jesus in your life, just say, God, right where you stand, say, God, I need you. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. I receive the blood that he shed on the cross for my sins. Come into my life. Help me not neglect you in my life every day. Help me live for you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Come on, you God got some love today. Let's go.